Welcome to the Wanting It More podcast. I am your host, Janet Denton-Howes, and it's an absolute delight to have you here. I'm a marriage and intimacy educator, as well as a creator of the Wanting It More program, which has helped thousands of women who are married to men want and enjoy it more in the bedroom. You know, having low desire was something that I personally struggled with for years in my marriage, so I absolutely get it all. You are not alone. Just a heads up, I use all the words in this podcast, so if you've got little ears around or you're in public setting, you may want to pop in some earbuds. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. I am here with Joe. Joe is a recent graduate alumni. She took Wanting It More uh, this last round. It's hard to say graduation because, as you know, this is an ongoing learning process. Um, but Joe has courageously decided to come on and share her story with all of you. And uh, why don't you get us started, Joe, with just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me, Jana. Um, my name's Joe. I am 44 years old. I have been married uh, uh, to my husband for the 11 years next month. And we have two children, age nine and seven next week, um, two boys. Um, we live in the United Kingdom, uh, in Northern Ireland, and... Yeah, we moved here to Northern Ireland, um, gosh, two and a half years ago from England. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit about me. So I work in healthcare. I'm a nurse and a social worker. And yeah, I love it. And yeah, what else can I say? Well, how are you feeling about being on a podcast about sex? Um, <laughs> quite nervous. Um, but I think the reason that I wanted to come on the podcast was not because I'm particularly eloquent or because I have, you know, massively um, earth-shattering kind of things to share, but I found listening to other people speaking on the podcast, both men and women, um, and listening to their experiences, super helpful um, during the course and before the course. Um, I think it was helpful just because hearing other women speaking who some of them going through or had gone through similar things to what I'd been feeling. Um, and also just listening to you yourself, Jana, just talking about some of the, uh, some of your personal kind of experiences in your marriage just really touched me and was just really relatable. And I think it just helped me to feel like I wasn't alone. Oh, don't, I'm not going to start crying, <laughs> but it, you know, it just helped me to realize that I wasn't alone in this. I'm not abnormal or, you know, broken. And I think that's where where I'd been left kind of residing for, for a long time. That, you know, this I think I I think when I started the Wanting It More course a couple of months ago, I think I had got to a place of just feeling hopeless, like there was nothing was ever gonna change because I didn't know where I could go where else I could go um you know we tried lots of other things um but I just thought well this is me I'm just this is just the way I am and this is the way it's always going to be and don't get me wrong it's going to be work for the rest of our lives like I'm well aware of that it's not like a sugar-coated pill that's kind of fixed everything um but I feel like I've now got tools that I can use in my everyday life, 
not just in my marriage with my husband, but in my relationship with my children and friends and things as well, but particularly with my marriage um, that will just stand me in such good stead for a healthy future. Yeah. When did that feeling of being broken start for you? I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, Would it be helpful if I just gave a bit of background about where I kind of come from, just, uh, you know, in my younger years? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a Christian and I became a Christian when I was 26 years old. So until I was 26, I lived a very non um, Christian lifestyle, whatever that is, because, you know, but, you know, um, it was it was completely the opposite. I think I grew up in a family that was very secular, had no interest in religion. Um, And then in my teenage years, I. As soon as I think I was I was bullied quite seriously at school um, every day of my high school life and because of the way I looked. And then as soon as I made friends outside of the school context, you know, while I was still at school, particularly with men, I just sought attention from men particularly and then later from women as well in a sexual way um, just to validate me, I think, just to, um, you know, uh, give me some sort of approval or sign that I was desirable and attractive and uh, kind of, yeah, wanted. So I had a lot of sex with a lot of people um, from the age of kind of 16 up until I was 26. Um, And I think all through that period of time, I would have, I would have said that I enjoyed it. I certainly would have said that I had a high sex drive. Looking back, I don't think that's what it was. I think looking back, it was down to low self-esteem. And then I became a Christian. And I was, it was a bit of a relief actually to take sex off the table um, because in my church back in England, it was, you know, really the 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 best way to go forwards in your relationship with god is to save yourself for marriage and it felt like a relief a weight off my shoulders in a way um there were times when it didn't feel like a relief but mostly it was like oh okay i don't have to be that person anymore and so i didn't have like sex or sexual contact with anybody until i got married when i was would have been 32 I think 33 when I got married um and when I met my husband we dated for a year before we got married and it was an interesting kind of period of time because I think while we were dating we didn't obviously have any sexual contact we, that was our choice we chose not to and my husband hadn't had any se- sexual contact with anybody ever so he had been a christian his whole life and decided to to remain a virgin until until he got married um so we came from very different places um and then when we did get married from the from day one from the night of our wedding 
sex was an issue. <laughs> yeah, from day one, it was it was a disappointment. For, I think for both of us, in but for different reasons. For him, it was a disappointment because he'd been sold this lie as a Christian man that if you save yourself for your wife and then when you get married, you can have as much sex as you like. It will be all over the place. And, you know, both of you will just not be able to keep your hands off each other. And so that was the lie he'd been missold. And he's not a stupid person, you know, because <laughs> if you think about it, that's ridiculous. But, and then there's me coming from a place of, well, I've had a load of sex with a load of people, been there, done that. It was great fun. And now I'm with this man who I love dearly and want to spend the rest of my life with. But the attraction, physical attraction, wasn't there in the same way that maybe it had been when I was younger. And so I think he felt has felt massive disappointment about all of that. And also that other people had the best of me when actually they didn't, they didn't have the best of me. And especially now going through, having gone through whim, it's like, they, they definitely didn't get the best of me. He's getting the best of me because he's the one that I'm prepared to put all of the, you know, we're putting this work in together to work through these issues in our marriage, um, to have intimacy in a way that I have never had with anybody else. And we're not there yet, but you know, that's where we're kind of, I don't want to say aiming for, cause it's not a goal, but I think that's the path that we're on, I suppose. Yeah. You know, when you said I wasn't feeling that attraction, I felt the collective relief from other women, I know mm -hmm. that they will express that this feels really shameful and that nobody wants to talk about it, but it's such a, it's such a fact that so many women experience. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Do you feel comfortable? I do feel comfortable. My husband told me that he wasn't going to listen to this. <laughs> so yeah, no, I do feel comfortable. I think, um, I think that in terms of desire, like I, I, I find him attractive in different ways at different times, but I think that I've, particularly during our, during the most difficult points in our marriage in the last year, I would say mostly, um, at times I've felt completely turned off from any form of attraction towards him at all. You know, his fluffy around the edges, his tummy's, you know, getting bigger as, as he gets older. He doesn't exercise. He eats the wrong foods, all of those things. And I think, you know, on the one hand, I feel awful for feeling that way because culture tells us, and also just common decency tells us that, we shouldn't comment on other people's bodies. We shouldn't comment on how somebody's choosing to live their life or if they've got, you know, they're putting on weight. And gosh, if he said that to me, then yeah, it would be really upsetting. Um, but it's just, it is just a fact that there are parts of those parts of his body I find less attractive. Um, and, and I think um, that played into things. But I think I listened to one of your podcasts when you were talking about 
you're am I allowed to say this you're talking about your own it's on a podcast of course I'm talking about your marriage um and you know attraction and how you focus on like your husband's hands or something because there are other parts that aren't so attractive to you and that was you know like you just said that collective sigh of relief that's how I felt I was like holy smoke I don't have to find every part or any part of my husband's body attractive I you I can't make that happen but the but the freedom came when when you explained how I don't have to find any part of him attractive but I can still experience intimacy and pleasure with him you know and and that for me was like flip if I if that if that's true then I'm in like I want to know how this can happen you know and what have you learned about that in the last couple of weeks yeah so um so my husband is gosh I don't think I could have married a better man really he has been so understanding through all of it um you know, we've had our ups and downs with it and we've both been at fault in various ways, but he's been fully on board with the whim kind of process and has attended, you know, the husband calls and watched the videos and what have you. And it's not been an easy ride necessarily with the conversations that we've had, but um, I think coming out the other, I think, I think, I think the main thing for me has been the safety aspect of what you taught us during the course because I remember saying to him before I started this course and before I'd listened to any of your material um I remember saying to him when he was watching me I was getting undressed ready for bed and I always would go to a different room to get undressed because I didn't want him to see me with no clothes on because I didn't want him to think or get get the impression that something else would be on the cards Um, I didn't want him to get aroused. I didn't want any of that because I didn't want any sexual contact with him. Um, And on this one particular occasion, he made some comment about it, about like he got a bit cross, I think, that I got got a bit funny about him being there, being in the room while I was getting undressed. And I said, I just don't feel safe. And he got really upset and really cross about that. Because I think when you say I didn't feel I don't feel safe, naturally somebody's mind will go to I don't feel physically safe, and that's not true. I feel very physically safe around my husband. But what I didn't feel was safety in my own home, um, in terms of intimacy and sexual contact, because I was worried that any wrong look that I gave him or any wrong touch that I gave him would indicate that I was up for having sex with him and I mean we'd not had uh, uh, sex has always been an issue in our marriage and over the years it's just kind of dwindled less and less and less and less and I'd be counting the days almost like oh how like I would think about sex every day and I'd say this to my husband like it's not that I don't think about sex I think about sex all the time and it brings me huge anxiety. Um, 
And he didn't, he couldn't understand that. I'm like, it's it's not, it's not that I'm not thinking about it. I wish things were different. I wish that I, you know, desired you in the way that you want to be desired. I wish that I had a higher sex drive or whatever. But um, but yeah, I, I think I think about it every day. But I can't remember where I was going with that train of thought. Where was I going, Jana? I don't know, but I want to ask you another question. So let's go there. And yeah, I just want to say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I would, I did the same thing. We had periods of not having sex for, we had two periods of not having sex for a year each time. And I thought about sex constantly during that time. I didn't talk to him about it because I was just enjoying the silence of it all. But yeah, feeling like, well, maybe tonight, maybe tonight I'll get horny or maybe, maybe I'll watch this movie and get some tingly things happening. And then, and then, you know, tonight would roll around and I just didn't want to do any of it. So I think that's so relatable and it's so helpful for men who are listening to this conversation for them to know that that just because your wife is silent about this issue or seems to want to avoid talking about it she's thinking about it a lot do you remember in your earlier days feeling unsafe with the men you were having sex with so no because I think I positioned myself as the dominant person um I was never faithful in my relationships, ever, I don't think, uh, until now. Obviously, in my marriage, I've been faithful. But, um, yeah, I was never faithful. I was. I generally would have somebody else lined up, ready to take over from the previous relationship when I got bored or whatever and wanted to move on. And I think there was something there about I didn't want to get hurt, so I'd do the hurting. So I think I I didn't ever feel unsafe. I don't think. I mean, there was probably times when 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 I did, but yeah, I don't I don't think so. That's so interesting what you said about the control piece and being dominating in the relationship. That makes a lot of sense, and it also makes sense that as you got married and you shifted the type of relationship that you wanted to have, that you wanted to be monogamous and faithful, then, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Do you think that level of obligation started to kick in? I think um, I thought about this before, and I think I think when I got married, it was like, especially because I've married a Christian guy and he is very much committed for life and it was maybe there's something subconsciously there about he's not going to leave me whatever happens I can just I don't have to put out anymore I don't have to you know keep somebody happy sexually um because he's not gonna go anywhere Um, fascinating so while you weren't feeling unsafe you sounds like you were feeling pressure pressure in the past in the past yeah oh yeah yeah I think so I think I mean I'm just trying to think back to other relationships I've erased them from my memory but you know I think in most relationships there's lots of sex at the beginning not most some relationships there's a lot of sex at the beginning and then it dwindles off and that certainly had been my story historically 
with my husband, it was slightly different because it was a problem from the beginning. But, yeah, I think because a lot of women will wonder what changed for me. Like I used to enjoy sex. I used to want sex. And now, you know, we hear that in whim, the participants say that. And so it's really interesting to unpack some of these things a little bit because I think it's, I think it's deeper than just, okay, now marriage sex is boring sex or something like that. I, I think there's something else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously over the years of me not wanting to have sex, I've wondered like, what is the problem? You know, I know a lot of women will go down the route of, is it hormones? Shall I go and get bloods done? Shall I, you know, what is it? Um, and I mean, certainly like, I, it's interesting because I, I, um, I work as a nurse and we had some information sent around about a medication called Roaccutane, which is a medication that you take for acne. And I've had to take it twice in my life. And um, this is new information that has just come out through, you know, their, their research and things that it can cause um, long-term, like even after you've stopped taking it, problems with libido. Okay, so then I was hanging everything on that, going, well, it's probably that then. <laughs> that's that's definitely what it was because it seemed to correspond with around that same kind of time. And, you know, I think I think I always wanted and hoped for an answer. Like if I if I can get an answer, then I'll know what the problem is. And then I can either treat the problem or get used to the fact that it's never going to change. You know? Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I very much know, Joe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't what was it like to you said you had tried a few things before doing wanting it more? What were those things? So we've had marriage counseling. That wasn't specifically around sex. That was around our relationship. Um obviously intimacy played a part in that um and we are currently actually on the waiting before I signed up for wanting it more I um spoke to my doctor because and got a referral for psychosexual counseling so we are on the waiting list for that still but it's going to be a long waiting list and I don't know whether when it comes around we'll take it up we'll see where we're at after having done wanting it more, whether or not that would be helpful or harmful or somewhere in the middle. Um, and I've had therapy to try and deal with some of my kind of issues, kind of uh, on and off over the last 10 years. I had kind of different forms of therapy. Um, interestingly, just before starting wanting it more, back in, it must have been March time, um, I started taking antidepressants and I never in a million years thought that I had depression. But one day my husband said, said to me, I think you need to speak to the doctor. I wonder if you, wonder if you're depressed because things have been building up a bit, you know, with, with anger and, you know, my mood and all sorts of other bits and bobs. And I started writing down, you know, the symptoms, things that I'd been experiencing. Oh yeah, no, maybe you're right. So the doctor, because I do everything else 
you know, I eat well, I exercise, all of the all of the right things. Started me on some medication, felt terrible for maybe three weeks. And then since then have felt like, felt amazing. So I think the combination of that and then starting the Wanting It More course at that point where I started to feel great again um, has just been like the magic combination of, of things. Um, and I think going through the course, feeling positive in myself, you know, more balanced emotionally has been just the best, the best combination. So, yeah, I think I speak to a lot of people who are very reluctant to consider things like antidepressants for different reasons. But, <clears throat> oh, my gosh, like it's it's that's changed my life. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, there is so much stigma around medication, but wow why not combine everything for our health? Yeah. What were the, um, what were the, the biggest takeaways for you from WIM? What, what do you think of all the paths that we went through were the ones that made the biggest difference? Yeah. So definitely um so like i've said before the safety thing was just that was transformative for me just that thing of being able to say no not that my husband had ever um pressured me really like overtly pressured me but actually there was pressure there there were you know it would i think before doing the course i never really realized which is, sounds really silly, but I've never really realised that there are certain things that I don't enjoy and therefore I don't have to do those things. <laughs> like, it's so simple and such a no-brainer. But I think just before I started the course, I'd listened to one of your podcasts about kissing on the mouth and I just don't like the tongue thing. I don't like the kissing on the mouth. And... The media, culture, whatever tells us that that is what you do with the person that you're romantically attached to. It's all tongues and saliva and like this, you know, your lips and whatever. And I just never, I just don't really enjoy it with my husband. And so I was able to say to him, actually, I don't really like that. I much prefer you kissing me on the forehead. That to me feels more intimate. And I think, I think the course... I think both of us have kind of wrestled with that thing of equality or equity in our relationship. I think he's still working his way there, I think, just to understand it. He does understand it, but he's also grieving, I think, the loss of what he had hoped our intimate life would look like. Mm -hmm. But I think for me... um, your Venn diagram was of of like the circle with the with me in it and all of the things that I like and enjoy and get pleasure out of and then a circle with him and all of the things that he loves and enjoys and gets pleasure out of and then somewhere in the middle we overlap and that bit of the overlap in the middle is the things that we that we enjoy to do together and the other bits that are outside of that 
meeting in the middle are things that the other person just doesn't enjoy and will, doesn't want to do. And me have, for me, having that visual representation to look at that tool um, was just so helpful and also empowering for me to be able to say, I don't like that thing and I don't want to do it. And, and I don't want to do it now and that might change or it might never change and that's fine too knowing that there are many more things on his list of things that he would be happy to do and very few things that he doesn't want to do and that can that can feel unequal but it really isn't because why should I have to do something that makes me feel uncomfortable just because it gives him pleasure and why would he want me to do that as a loving husband who loves me and is you know, concerned for my well-being and my safety and my security and my comfort and my pleasure. So, yeah, that for me, that was the biggie for me. Just, yeah, that yeah, was the biggie. It sounds so basic. That's what I'm often saying about when is this is basic stuff. This is sort of, we learn this in kindergarten. My body's my body, your body's your body. And yet, here we all are um, feeling like we have to conform to a certain standard of sexual behavior. And that is the right way. And as you were talking about the Venn diagram, I know we've spoken about this before and, and you mentioned it's it changes all the time, but I, I almost imagined it in real time moving around, like flowing mm -hmm. in and out and you know, what I always like to say is this is about pleasure. It's not about this is a sexual act and we're going to label it like this. For example, oral sex. We're going to label it a sexual act and there's very specific parameters around what that looks like. And yet one can find pleasure orally with genitals in many, many different forms that may even not really look like oral sex. So I think these labels also that we may even be imagining putting in the Venn diagram are incredibly restrictive in terms of pleasure. Yeah, what do you think about that? No, I, I agree. Uh, and even, even using an example that's not so overtly sexual just thinking about holding my husband's hand like I can be very touch averse I'm really sensitive to like sensory stuff and um I mean at particular points in the month I cannot be touched and I'm very noise sensitive but just even like holding his hand he is very you know would love to be more tactile with me um, and it always has felt like if we're holding hands, if I, if we hold hands, then that's it. We're holding hands, you know? Um, and if I pull away, then that's a kind of, that means something if I'm pulling away, you know, it signals something a rejection. to him. A rejection, that's the word. Yeah. Which, which it isn't, but I understand how that can, how that can feel. Um, but I think through doing 
when I've had permission to be the initiator of that physical touch with my husband in safety and security, knowing that it doesn't have to lead to anything. It doesn't have to go anywhere. And so I've been able to hold his hand, but that might just be for five seconds or put my hand on his knee while he's driving for five seconds and then re remove it again. And, and that that doesn't mean anything in terms of me rejecting him. Um, and I think, you know, we were talking about it the other day that that during the last three weeks, particularly, I think, probably three to four weeks, I've been more physically affectionate towards him than I have done in years. Um, and I think that is 100% down to feeling safe and knowing that he's not going to be trying to grab my bum or not that he... You know, in the last few years, he he knows well enough not to do that. But um, yeah, it's just give it. Do you know another thing that that was quite kind of a rev? I don't know, a bit of an epiphany, I think, for my husband <clears throat> was on one of the husband calls that you ran this this time round. He, I think, I think Melissa was talking about um, previous to whim she would notice that out in public she'd be more physically affectionate to her husband and then as soon as they got in the car it would be stopped immediately or as soon as they got home there would be nothing and my husband really identified with that because he was like that is exactly what joe does you know when we're around friends or we're out and about then i feel much more uh, freedom to be physically affectionate towards him not overtly like not kind of stick your fingers down your throat and <laughs> make everyone feel sick kind of whatever but you know more physically affectionate towards him um but then as soon as we get home it's like no don't touch me that's it done and he took that as rejection or what he actually thought that was was me putting on a performance for the benefit of other people Look at us. Our relationship is amazing. Isn't our marriage great? And then behind closed doors, our marriage is awful and we're not touching each other at all. And I think the husband call helped him to see that it had nothing to do with him and and everything to do with safety and me feeling safe and pre feeling pressure to then, you know, have sex or do something like that when we were at home you know yeah yeah absolutely that sense of freedom is such a theme that keeps on coming up well, which which has since I've ran whim and it's always surprised me because I I wouldn't necessarily have labeled it like that but it it is what that feels like and it makes a lot of sense that women would hold back from physical affection worrying that they're going to be required to escalate things or now they're sort of locked locked and loaded <laughs> that now it's now it's their responsibility and obligation i know a young couple and they're just navigating the early days of physical affection and they both have sensory stuff sensory needs 
And they've started to communicate by saying, like, is this a sensory thing? So being able to actually say that, such relief, such acknowledgement. But that's not what the media shows us at all. It's we feel hot for people when we're hot for them and we act all hot. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And I think I think just that thing of, well, if I'm attracted to some, you know, to somebody or to my husband or I'm in a relationship with him, then you're right. Like I should feel horny or I should feel this way. Or if he suggests us having sex, I should feel X, Y and Z. And it should follow this kind of pattern of, well, it starts like this. It start, And I think that's our sex life really has followed this pattern of of me putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, not feeling kind of up for it, really. Then kind of making myself do it. Oh, let's just get it over. And, let's just get it over and done with, like in my head. Let's just get it over and done with. Getting into it and actually enjoying it, like in the moment maybe eight times out of 10, you know, I've never had a problem with orgasm. That's always been, you know, fine. Um, and and then afterwards I think, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. Why didn't we do, didn't we do that more often? And then it will be weeks and weeks and weeks in between because I'm just, I put it off, put it off, put it off. Or we'll have a big old argument and then we'll have, you know, I'll, I'll feel guilty and then we'll have some sort of sexual contact. And then again, it'll be months and months and months and months, you know, but actually, like, what do you call it? Is it, what is it that you were calling it? Is it arousal non-concordance? Is that what? Well, arousal non-concordance is when you're, you're having sort of genital signs like swelling or wetness, but you're not actually into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the wrong thing. So I think for me, I think what you've taught us through when to have uh, responsive desire, uh, is that where you're desire, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the one. Yeah. That's it. You explain it. You'll be much better at it. <laughs> let's give, let's give it a go for you. People are tired of hearing <laughs> from me. <laughs> All right. So I think, um, or explain, where I was going explain with, your experience of it in your body. That would be really interesting. So I think just thinking about sexual contact that my husband and I have had historically before when and before we started doing XDs, um, it would have been me feeling putting like almost like a barrier would go up. And everything in me would tense up and tighten and nothing in me wanted to go through with it. I didn't feel desire. I didn't feel aroused. I didn't want to do it. But also I knew that if I did, that would not get him off my back for a while because he would never be on my back. Like he was, he, over the years, he's just been very like almost resigned to the fact that, well, this is just what life is going to be like but in a pass- sort of a very passive aggressive way, because obviously he wasn't happy about it. <clears throat> so, so I would tense up, tighten up, nothing in me wanted to go ahead with it. 
But then as we got into it a bit more, I would then start responding in kind of, uh, uh, yeah, my body would start responding in the way that it should, I suppose, respond to pleasure and enjoying it, sometimes more than others. Um, obviously, that's just normal. Um, and sometimes it wouldn't, and sometimes I would do things that would kind of sabotage the sexual experience, i.e., I don't know, like I would, in the morning, I'd think, right, that's it, we're going to have sex tonight, and I'd send him a message going, let's have sex tonight, and then all day long, I'd be worrying about it. That's so and, relatable. <laughs> um, that so many times. Get in the evening, and he's thinking, great, we're going to have sex tonight, kids into bed, we're going to have sex, and I start niggling at him yeah niggling at him picking at things oh the house is dirty the house is untidy or whatever it is just starting an argument basically yeah to avoid having sex yeah so that I mean that I don't think that really answers your question <laughs> so what you've <laughs> learned what you've learned is that you have responsive desire which means that it's not a, a thing that sort of washes over your body and it's your body's craving this sexual experience and it's more of a choice. It's more uh-huh. of a decision yeah. that you're making. Yeah. But then the beauty of the XDs is that it's not a decision to have intercourse or sort of the media sex formula experience. It's a decision to explore your pleasure with the boundaries of safety there and with the permission to follow your intuition, to adjust for it not to be a linear A to B experience. There's permission there to be triggered, to have interruptions, to be human. (laughs) Isn't that wild? We get to be human? Completely wild. That also has been something that I've really taken away from this, that thing of just showing up as I am, showing up when my period started an hour before the XD. We've only had three XDs um, so far. Ours are scheduled Saturday mornings. We get up a bit earlier. The kids like come downstairs to watch cartoons anyway so I make sure I put some snacks out for them so they don't bother us um when they're hungry um and we've put a lock on our door as well so and both of us will get up and shower he'll brush his teeth twice (laughs) um because again that's another thing of mine like the smell like sensory things I'm very sensitive to smell and it's been interesting because again that having permission to feel anxious or nervous or I don't want to do this that's okay don't do it then like you don't have to do anything it's a choice and I think the first one we literally just lay on the bed and chatted and I think I might have stroked his arm or something you know it's very awkward and whatever um but actually, it's been a really nourishing time for us. Like, we ha- maybe it's about an hour and a half or something, or an hour, all in all, you know, maybe an hour and a half all in all. And it's been really lovely to just have that time that's not negotiable, 
because I think it always would get put to the bottom of the list, especially of an evening, because I think I'm much more of a morning person and my husband's not at all. Like he would struggle in the mornings. But for me, it gets to the evening time. Like it's the evening time here now, Jana, and I'm surprised I can string a sentence together. But um, yeah, I just shut down of an evening. And so being able to say, no, no, we're going to try and do the RxD in the morning and see how that goes, even though it might be difficult for you. You just turn up as you are, tired, sleepy, whatever. It's really working for us at the moment. Um, and it feels like it's a really healthy start to our day to rather than the end of the day where there might have been all sorts of niggly, irritating things in the day. Actually, we can start the day on a fresh foot. We're not cross with each other about anything and just have a really nice time together. Um, and whether that is just chatting and talking and cuddling and whatever, or whether it is, um, you know, more touching and more physical intimacy, it almost doesn't really matter because this is just the start of our journey and we've got the rest of our lives to kind of carry on exploring and figuring things out well, not even figuring things out but just exploring and seeing what we enjoy yeah so, just learning continue to learn yeah did you I can't remember because I know in when we talk a lot about being a highly sensitive person did you look into that yeah, I think I probably fall somewhere low on that spectrum. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say, but but I, I think my son also probably does somewhere. But um, I've definitely got some sensory things going on, but it would be on the lower end of the spectrum, I think. Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is because, I don't know, I we often will see sensory things as being a negative you know like yeah. you evenings aren't great for you that's very typical for people with sensory stuff and the sensitive smell and the sensitivity to touch do you know what I mean like it's sort of an annoyance I wish I could be more like other people who can handle more things yeah that's true that resonates and yeah and yet what I find is that in the sexual experience in this way, sensitivity becomes a huge superpower because mm -hmm. given the right framework with the safety and the slow, you can actually discover pleasures that most people who don't have these sort of sensory quote unquote issues can experience. It's almost like having access to a microscope that nobody else has access to. And so you can feel, so with a microscope, it's to see smaller things, but with sensory stuff, it is that you can feel a much broader range of sense sensitive or sensory experiences. So yeah, as you move forward, I'll get, if I can, if I can give you a little advice here on the, on the, on the, and this is for anyone listening as well, who you found yourself relating to some of the things that Joe has shared. And maybe, you know, you've listened to me share about my experience of being a highly sensitive person, but yeah, um, we require 
micro movements, micro and slow and very particular. So don't be afraid to get really nuanced and subtle around what you really want. Okay. That is, that is interesting. And yeah, that it really does resonate with me because I will notice very subtle changes in things like temperature or, um, you know, atmosphere, sound, whatever. And touch obviously is a big thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll look out for that. Yeah, it can, it can hit a really wonderful sweet spot if you give it time <laughs> to... Mm-hmm to mature. It's like a a painting or any other art form. At first you start with this big blank canvas and then you're doing these big sort of swashes, swatches of color. And then you're getting into the shadows, the shades, the, the blending. That's where the sensory folks come alive in terms of pleasure. It, it takes time. And also it takes that confidence that that you know you build over time but for example my husband the other day had his hand on my arm and he was rubbing with his thumb only back and forth back and forth (laughs) you can't see her but she's cringing Cringing. at the the thought (laughs) of it you know just absent-mindedly and it felt like nails on a chalkboard without the confidence I wouldn't stop him but I also would just label myself as too sensitive or not enjoying touch I don't enjoy any touch but the truth is I just didn't enjoy that touch what I really enjoy was what my husband was doing this morning where he was really softly touching my head but with his whole hand no one finger had more pressure than the other and also his hand wasn't sweaty, so it wasn't like grabbing at my hair. Do you know what I'm saying, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I relate so much. Yeah. Yeah. So we, and that's we good to be we can be sophisticated in our desires for touch. That's it. And it's good to know, isn't it, as well, that it's um firstly that it's okay for me to say I don't like that touch or can you please change it to this? And that, and I think my husband is definitely learning how to do that without taking it personally um, and kind of reaping the rewards of that as well, you know, in, in how I'm responding um, and learning, we're learning more about each other and each other's likes and dislikes, which gosh, in America, like it's, it, it seems totally ridiculous, doesn't it? That, sex is a part or you know or intimacy physical intimacy is a part of most marriages at some point and yet we don't talk about it even to each other because and I think I think it's because we don't know where to go with it we just argue about it um but yet you've given us the language to use You, you know the the tools to use the language to use to kind of walk these paths and figure out our journey through kind of what has been a really difficult challenging part of our marriage you know 
Yeah. You're awesome. Oh, Joe, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, I said to another guest, uh, I did an interview yesterday and after we stopped recording, I was talking a little, I was sharing a little bit more about my journey to get to this place. And the truth is, it was just a lot of suffering. That, that's the truth. And sometimes the soil just needs to be tilled a lot and until yeah. something that can, can burst forth. And I don't think, I don't think it came for me. I think there's a level of spiritual inspiration that, that I was blessed with. And it's just really cool that I get a partner with women like you to change the freaking world together. Oh, I know. You go, girl. You do it. Thinking of your work as a nurse, do you feel like this is going to change anything in that department? Oh, good question. I don't know, you know. Um, the people that I work with, I work in addictions, so I work with people who have opiate addictions who are some of the most marginalized people I've ever met and have had such trauma in their lives. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you know Gabor Mate. Yeah. Is a, yeah. So he said something like, um, not everybody who has trauma will become an addict, but everybody who's an addict will have trauma. Mm. Um, so the people that I work with are just off the scale, you know, you know, they've had a lot, a lot going on in their lives. So I think this course has helped me with compassion. Right. I think that alongside the antidepressants have helped because I think I took some time off sick in March feeling like I had compassion fatigue. I That's what I called it, compassion fatigue. I felt like I was, over the, my 20 years of practicing as a nurse, I just felt completely burnt out. Um, and I think it was compassion fatigue alongside depression. And um, I think this course, alongside feeling better in my head, has helped me to have more compassion for myself also have more compassion for my patients um which is such a lovely place to be back to because I wondered whether it had, I'd lost it forever <laughs> the the compassion um and it turns out I haven't I do still like people and care for them deeply so <laughs> yeah yeah burnout is is really really brutal I I I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, that happened to me about a year ago. And I kept on saying the same thing. I think I have empathy fatigue. I don't, I'm not feeling that level of empathy that I used to feel before. I'm just feeling kind of resentment. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, for, for sensitive souls um, is a very uncomfortable and unfamiliar place to be not saying that other people are walking around who aren't sensitive, <laughs> just full of resentment and anger. But we, we feel, we feel extra. We feel extra. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure 
looking at culture and how culture has impacted in individuals that find themselves in these situations can help greatly. I know it helps me quite a bit when I, I interact with those members of our community. Yeah. Joe, it's been an absolute delight having this conversation with you. Is there anything that we, that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure you said, but we did cover a lot. We have covered a lot. There was just one little thing um, that I just wanted to say as well, just because I think it's really important. Um, I think the other, I've always been very open with my children about most things. Like I've, you know, worked in sexual health for years and they know a lot more than probably a lot of people, children their age know. Um, but I think this course has definitely given me the confidence to talk to them more about like my relationship with my husband, not, you know, appropriately, obviously, but also just, you know, about relationships between adults and um, pleasure, particularly. It's opened up some amazing conversations, particularly with my eldest, about pleasure. And, you know, we were talking in the car the other day, the, two, the three of us, um, about wet dreams and ejaculation and what it's about and just in a very frank way but also we have spoken about the clitoris and what that's for and you know how he he was just his mind was totally blown about like so God's created this part of a woman's body that has no other function apart from pleasure that is like his mind was completely blown like yeah I was like yeah God's just kind so kind so yeah that's been really lovely too so yeah that's all I all else I had to say but thank you for having me Jana and thank you for the last couple of months and for all you do for women and men and marriages you're just yeah groundbreaking stuff Mm -hmm. thank you Thanks for that, Joe. I appreciate it. I will, I will soak up all the encouragement I can get. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did, and I will talk to you in the next one. If you've enjoyed this episode, I have a favor to ask of you. It's really hard to get the word out about a podcast about sex. What would really, really help is if you would leave a rating and a review. And I know that you get asked this all the time in different podcasts, but please, I beg you, it would really, really help so that more women who need this message will hear it. All you have to do is go into your Apple podcast app. It's the purple icon. And if you go to the podcast page where it shows my face, and has a little button that says latest episodes. If you scroll down past the episodes and you get to a section called ratings and reviews, there's a little purple writing thing that says write a review. If you click on that, it will ask you to give it a five stars. Actually, you can put any stars, but five is what I would love. And put a title and then write your review. Thank you so much for supporting this little venture here and I really am so grateful. If you are curious about wanting it more and how this program could help you want and enjoy sex more with your husband, 
and you feel like it may be a great next step for you, you can go to janetdentonhouse.com slash wanting it more to sign up for the wait list, to learn more, to see when we're running our next round. All right, that's it. I'll see you next one.